Welcome to the Sound Iron Podcast. Today I'm with a few members of the Skewed Sound team. Uh, you guys want to go ahead and introduce yourselves and sort of what you do? Uh, sure. My name is Steve Pardo. I am a composer with Skew Sound. I also do a lot of interactive um, audio and interactive music, generative audio, generative audio, that kind of thing, as well as um, VR audio and spatial spatial audio. Yeah, and I'm Nick Coleman. I'm uh, one of the sound designers here at Skew Sounds, uh, focusing on mostly sound design and uh, dialogue production. So what, what are some of the more recent projects you guys have worked on? I know, uh, I think Risk of Rain 2 is the most recent. So did you, were you guys involved in the, in the original or were you guys just brought on for, for the sequel? For Risk of Rain 2, we, we worked with them just on the sequel. We were not part of the original team for the first game. Um, but the original composer, uh, Chris Christodoulou, he was brought back to do Risk of Rain 2. Uh, so we worked closely with him to build up this interactive music system to put his awesome music in this crazy weird game. <laughs> That's awesome. So what was your guys' creative approach as, as far as working on this game? Was there uh, certain things they wanted you guys to do? Did you guys do a lot of like field recording or, or what was your guys' creative approach for working on this game? Yeah, I think they came, they came to us because they were, they were, reimagining their their game their franchise their ip from a 2d game which risk of rain one was into 3d and i think with that brought a lot of problems they needed to solve from an audio perspective um 2d game is a lot simpler it's a flat plane um you know it's easier to comprehend and build systems around that so i think they approached us because of our work in other 3d games we've done in the past um even you know games like grim dawn which is a big indie hit it's an action rpg um we've been with that team for a while um so i think they approached us for that knowledge um and then just our sound design shops i guess we're we're up to their their par it's a it's a sci-fi game so um i wasn't using a lot of um i was using a lot of sound library content um to get kind of the weird sounds I needed um, and a lot of synth stuff. Um, there wasn't a lot of, of field recording for this project. Also because of the schedules. Um, usually we would have maybe a month to, to work on a content update. And that's kind of how the project rolled out. I don't know if you remember um, following it through early access, but it was on Steam early access for a while. And every few months, there'd be a content update, a free update for the game. And so they were slowly building out the full experience using early access as like their, their platform and their test platform so they could have hundreds, thousands of players playing and finding all these issues and polishing before the first, we, we called it V1, the, the, the actual release of the game came out earlier this year. Um, but because our, the sound cycle, the, the development cycle for audio was a, maybe a month max, um, we weren't afforded really the luxury because we we honestly wouldn't know what was coming into the game because they were still figuring it out. And once they figured it out, they sent over uh, you know video captures for us to work off of and just kind of technical documents um, to know what these characters, enemies, levels were. Um, but because of that, we, we, we didn't unfortunately have the time to do a lot of field recording. For it. But sound libraries saved my ass, that's for sure. <laughs> Yeah, especially when you have all these like pre-polished sounds that are just kind of ready to go. It's always helpful, especially if it's like you already have the sound in your head, you know, 
just kind of sifting through sounds that are already there for you is definitely a lot easier than going out and recording it, taking it back sound designing it and you know doing that kind of stuff uh when you do have the opportunity to do any sort of like field recording or like manipulating sounds you know kind of crafting them your own do you have any favorite plugins or things you like to use to kind of like mangle and get some cool effects and sure um i love the the isotope suite um their rx uh platform um actually is really cool for a sound design tool. Uh, I know it's, it's built off of like cleaning up and audio restoration. Um, but uh, myself and Dan Chrislip, the other sound designer here at SKU Sound, we use RX all the time to pull out weird artifacts from different sources. And actually, there's a, there's a little tick box on RX when you do the noise reduction. And uh, you can export only the noise reduced portion of it or the, the noise I think they call it um, and doing that gets some really weird textures and some really interesting um, source that we'll use with with other other plugins um, that's cool. I never, I've never heard of that yeah yeah um, it's it's I mean we kind of Steve we, we kind of do this a lot we'll take tools and plugins that you know should be used one way or designed to be used one way and find a way to just kind of get creative and get we just get weird with it, you know? Yeah, totally. And there are some cool things that come out of it. Um, a lot of things end up on the, the cutting room floor, but <laughs> uh, that's that's kind of like audio and music design, you know? It's, it's, it's a lot of experimentation. Um, yeah. yeah. I work in Nuendo primarily, um, Steinberg's DAW. Um, and they have some great, um, some great, like, bass plugins with their, their software. Um, one of them I use all the time, I think it's called Pitch Driver. It's just a pitch shifter, but it has this one knob where you can mix the original signal in with the pitch shift signal. And so you maintain some of that frequency content. If you pitch down, you maintain the high frequency content. And that weird blend also gives it kind of a, an otherworldly ethereal kind of feel. It's really interesting on voices, um, but I use it on, on really anything I need to like get more meat out of, I'll throw that quick little plug in pitch it down, but maintain all the high-end sizzle without, you know, mm. the pitch-down artifacts. Yeah. That's cool. I wonder I wonder if that plugin exists in Cubase, or is that, is that mainly just a, a new endo thing? Or? It, it, it totally could. I I haven't used Cubase since our days at Harmonix when we all used yeah. to work on rock band games. Um, it, it totally could. I, I have no idea, though. I'm curious. Uh, do you know what like uh, why you use Nuendo versus Cubase? Like, cause I, I've always kind of wondered. I, I haven't looked into it too much. I've been a Cubase user for a while, but uh, always not really sure why. Like, some people use Nuendo versus Cubase, or any specific reason why Nuendo is kind of like your DAW choice. Yeah, um, for me, um, I, I used to be a Pro Tools user, um, coming out of music school, working in you know working in studios, and it works great for that, right? Exporting a song no problem. And then when I got into games work, uh, having to export, you know, small renders of like a footstep or a gunshot or, you know, very small chunks of audio was tedious as all hell back in Pro Tools. I don't know what it was, eight or nine back in those days. Um, and then Nuendo, I, I heard about it, found out about it. I think we saw it at like a GDC uh, game developers conference in, in San Francisco one year. Yeah, I recall hearing it or, or seeing it uh, demonstrated at the Audio Kinetic booth. Um, Wise, there was a representative there and he was showing off it connecting to Wise, among other things. So that's another thing is it, it, um, it 
besides like its export system, which I believe Pro Tools and all the other ones are kind of catching up to that, um, you know, doing batched exports and renders and cycle markers. So you can like, I have a whole session built out, but I have these cycle markers for each little sound effect, each variation, and I can just export them all at once into individual little audio files. Um, same with like stemming out and things like that. Um, but coming from, you know, the music world, shifting over to this um, and doing more film work as well. Nuendo is kind of built to be the, the film TV posts DAW and video game like design DAW. Um, that's kind of what they've found their niche with, with this piece of software compared to Cubase, which is more music production and, you know, strict music production. Gotcha. Um, granted, with any DAW, you can do anything, right? Like, yeah, <laughs> yeah, they all basically have their own sort of like their own, like they all do the same thing, but they all have their own little unique things or layouts and stuff like yeah. that. Little, yeah, they name things differently, which is confusing sometimes if you haven't jumped into a DAW in a while. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, Nuendo also connects with another piece of software we use quite frequently called Wise, and Steve just mentioned it. Um, <clears throat> it's an audio middleware for game development. Um, I don't know how familiar you are with that. Um, I've heard a little bit about uh, some of the, um, I was interviewed, I interviewed Jason Graves a while back and he was telling me that he was getting into using Wise and just being able to see a little bit under the hood of like how the music and sounds are implemented into the game and, and stuff like that. So yeah, if you want to talk about that, that'd be great for anyone who's wanting to get into that. Sure. Um, so high level, it's, it's an audio, we call it audio middleware and it bridges the gap between an audio designer and their, their DAW, which they're familiar in and a game engine like Unreal or Unity. And so it's right in the middle between them. It's, it's a familiar interface for designers and musicians like myself who maybe don't have all of the technical know-how to jump right into a game engine and program like C++. Um, um, it bridges the gap between a lot of that. And unfortunately, game engines nowadays aren't quite up to par with all of the audio tools and power that we have in in DAWs um, and so this audio middleware comes with like a lot of systems simple things like busing and side chaining and uh, real-time effects and also taking data from the game to basically automate different parameters in your game um, it, 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 it just does all that and Nuendo plugs into WISE so if I have a WISE project open and I'm working on some design for it, um, as soon as I export from Nuendo, it immediately imports it into the WISE project and puts it where I need to. And when you're working on, I don't know, how, do we have like five or 10 projects going simultaneously this year, Steve, at one time? So like, That sounds about right, yeah. yeah. Oh, so wow. we're, we have to work quickly and it's and efficiencies are everything. So even just those couple clicks of like going to find the folder where I exported to and dragging that into the WISE project, like those couple clicks like add up over a year. And mm -hmm. um, it's great to just hit that one button that imports it directly into WISE for me. But the best, best thing is, is once I get it into the game and I'm testing it and playing it, seeing how it feels, if I hate it and I don't like, or I need to change it, I can go into Wise, and maybe this is like weeks after I worked on this sound. Wise, uh, when Nuendo exports it, it remembers the metadata of what project it was in and where the, it was on the timeline, that one sound effect. So from within Wise, I can right click, open in Nuendo, it opens my Nuendo project and puts my cursor right on the timeline where that export came from, uh, saving a ton of time trying to hunt down 
Yeah, that's that right there. It seems like a huge time saver because instead of like scrolling through your project, trying to find where that sound is or trying to remember where you were, how you worked on it, that's that's super cool. Exactly. Yeah. So that that's really nice. Um, unfortunately, you have to like use that that Nuendo to Wise like bridge the automatic import um, from the Nuendo export to maintain that metadata, I believe. Um, maybe they've improved that in the newer newer versions, but. Um, yeah, so that that's like one of the reasons I really enjoy Nuendo. Um, it's great with film work too and ADR, um, which we do, and uh, you know, a good amount of. But we're mostly a game audio studio. So is that the main DAW that you work in? Do you do you use any others for any specific things? I know some people like to use Ableton for certain things, maybe like more like electronic stuff or or just for programming that sort of thing. Do you use any others? Uh, me personally, I have Reaper. Uh, ready to go. Um, some of our other studios we partner with and work with prefer to work in Reaper. So I'll work, I'll do designs in there so that they have access to that session as well. Um, uh, if they ever need to revisit it, because because we are kind of a, th most of the time we're like a third party um, audio house. Um, we we really like to be the main designers and the main like team. And that's what Risk of Rain was. That's what um, Signs of the Sojourner, which Steve just just knocked out an amazing soundtrack on. Um, we were the audio house for that, or the audio That's team. Awesome. Um, yeah, I use Reaper. Um, Reaper and Nuendo are kind of my main ones. You know, the, the um, Isotope and Soundforge are there just for like some some like single file editing or or other things. There's some other like batch processing tools that we use for for dialogue production, especially. But as far as like a main big DAW. Reaper and Nuendo, those are mine. Steve, I think you use some different ones. Yeah, uh, Logic is still sort of my home base for music production. I've been using that since college, and I still, you know, when you're in creative right brain mode, you kind of want to be the most um, in a comfortable at home kind of place. Um, it's all it's where you know all my presets and channel strips are. So you know, just being able to load up a session and and pump stuff in is um, you know, I, I just feel the most comfortable there. So it doesn't have all the technical wizardry stuff that some of the other um, DAWs currently do, such as Ableton. And um, I love Reaper. Um, I, I wish that I could make that jump to Reaper, but I, I just, that would just take way too long. I actually, really, I really do like um, how it's so lightweight and just so flexible. And whenever I do quote unquote sound design, um, for a game, if I'm like, for example, on my Windows machine, I'm doing that work uh, within Reaper, um, especially for multi-channel audio stuff, like anything regarding um, VR audio or using ambisonic tools. Um, you know, Logic can't do that out of the box. Um, anything that's like multi-channel is kind of cumbersome. Um, I kind of am anti-pro tools so i know that you can do all that stuff there so <laughs> try to stay away uh, as much as possible um so i i feel like uh reaper just happens it just it's so easy to kind of load up a, a crazy multi-channel um session and load your sounds in there and uh, it seems like made for that kind of workflow um but i also am using ableton a lot for generative music right now it's like a I, I've only been using it this last year, and I feel like my eyes are open to just how incredible Ableton is for, I don't know, generative music stuff. It's just insane. I'm, I'm still kind of like 
um, peeling away layers and I'm in that honeymoon phase of, you know, figuring out just how incredible Ableton is, you know. So for composing, what types of things would you use Ableton for? Like more like percussion or groove type stuff or? Yeah, like loop, loop based stuff. And like I said, generative music. Um, I'm, I work a lot in, um, you know, AI dr driven music and I'm, you know, pairing that with Max MSP using a lot of Max for live patches, that kind of thing. Um, it just like kind of comes with all of the access, like, you know, access um, to like MIDI and OSC and Max for Live built in, kind of like allows for seemingly unlimited generative music possibilities. Um, but if I'm composing for like a soundtrack or for a TV show, for, you know, games, TV shows, my own personal music, I am not doing that in Ableton. Um, I just, I, I kind of, like I said, I've only been using it this year, so I still feel like I need something where I can have a timeline and it's very traditional and I can just pop in ideas and, um, you know, uh, that's where logic, you know, it's still my like home base, like I was saying before. Nice. What, uh, what version of logic are you on? I'm on the most recent, whatever yep. that is, uh, 10.4, I want to say it is. I don't remember. Yeah, I, I started on Logic Pro 9, and I know there's some people that are still on it, uh, and it kind of surprises me sometimes oh. when I see, you know, I think it's because certain older composers, or not older composers, like composers that have been using it forever, they're yeah. just like, you know, like they're so just, this is it. You know, I'm sure there's people that are still on like super old versions of Pro Tools just because they're just like, this works. Like every time I get a new one, there's some bug or something or, you know, even old OSs for Mac and stuff like that. It's kind of like you just have like this comfort that kind of resides there. It works. Yeah. Don't. Yeah. I, I am. I like to I like to have my computers and DAWs broken all the time. So I am constantly updating. <laughs> I, I haven't updated a big Sur yet. Uh, whatever that is, 11.0 or one, the new yeah. Mac operating system. Yeah. Uh, but I did just, I, I just did just upgrade to Catalina for finally a couple months ago. And, you know, yeah, it wasn't, it wasn't the easiest migration, but you know, so yeah, I'm, I'm on the most recent things. If, if at all possible, I like to keep up to date. Yeah. I love getting those whenever, like it, it's always when Apple updates, like a new OS version, you get yeah. those emails from every audio, audio, yeah. Yeah. It's now compatible for this. It's now exactly. compatible with this. <laughs> like, like, wait, don't update. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That that's where it's always kind of like, oh man, like there's always that fear of like everything just breaking, like yeah. plugins stop working and they're just like black or there's some kind of UI issue or I was gonna say like ten years ago when I was working in studios, like the studios were never connected to an internet or any sort of network. They were they were completely isolated, um like air gaps, I guess they would call it now. Um and it was because they didn't want any update to like come to the software and and screw up everything and when you're working in a studio too when you're booked like you don't have downtime to update it's a whole process to like make sure everything is like still working and yeah fully yeah especially back then when maybe certain computers just weren't that up to date with like malware or something like that like the last thing you want is your whole computer to just get ripped yep. apart by some virus or something so yeah yeah it's it still worries me to this day, but maybe it's not as not as a uh, bad of an issue. Um, yeah, I remember back when I was using uh, Mac for everything. I remember every time there would be some new update, like I'd just be like, "All right, here we go," and just like hold my breath and just like hope that you know everything doesn't get torn apart. Like I remember, um, 
I was using, uh, well, I was using Logic Pro 9 and I up, updated, I think it might've been to Catalina and Logic Pro 9 just stopped working. Just, it just wasn't compatible with it anymore. So I was like, well, that's a bummer. Like, cause I have all these old projects I couldn't open anymore. So it's basically like forcing me to have to get that. But around that time, I think a little before I already made the switch to Cubase cause there were certain things in LP9 that just, um, I don't know, it was just like lacking certain things, certain editing possibilities and routing and, and stuff like that. Yeah, and to kind of piggyback on Steve's like Reaper talk, uh, I love that software too. I The only thing I hate about it is you have to spend like a month fully customizing it to get it to what you like to do. Like out mm-hmm. of the box, it's cumbersome. It doesn't it doesn't flow really well. Um, and to get, if you're familiar with like Pro Tools, there are ways, I, I believe there's like presets and stuff you can download to like kind of get it to behave. Like rescan it. And rescan it and all the hotkeys that you're familiar with like will just work. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, that's the, that's the biggest like hurdle for me is to like jump if I wanted to use new window or not the window uh, Reaper exclusively would be like that learning curve and that setup. It's that's the biggest hurdle for me. Like new window, I opened it up and like things were there and it, it's clean. It works like, yeah, there's different hotkeys and you can customize all those too, but um, there's not that weird learning and programming setup stuff that you have with Reaper, which also makes it super powerful if you spend that time to do it. Um, yeah, Reaper is one of those dot investments that like if you invest in it enough, you'll start to realize how powerful it actually is. We use Reaper a lot for editing and it's pretty powerful as far as like what you can do with just being able to, you know, especially for sampling, you know, just thousands and thousands of hits and articulations and being able to like sift through and edit all those. And, you know, in yeah. time it's, it's pretty daunting. So it's super helpful for that. Right. Yeah, we used it. Um on a project called disintegration that came out, I think it was earlier this year. Um, um, kind of a third person, first person. No, it's a first person <laughs> shooter. Mm-hmm. Like you're kind of flying up above sci-fi thing. Um, we used it for all the cinematic work on that. And the biggest downfall we noticed is Reaper does not handle surround sounds smoothly at all. Like it's a, mm-hmm. it's a very hacky, system of plugins to give you your different channels and pan around like there's no like integrated panner for surround oh, sounds like a little um, bit of a workaround to, to get it working yeah it was kind of a pain in the ass to, to do that but we had already like committed we already jumped in the deep end with reaper on these cinematics <laughs> like, all right i guess we got to figure it out so we got to work <laughs> with it yeah, yeah yeah they were uh it was the sessions would run pretty slow but the export was good so nice so talk a little bit about skew sound how did you guys all start what made you guys get together to to start the company and a little bit of history on that yeah steve i'll let you take this one i feel like i've been talking a lot (laughs) i like your voice nick (laughs) give me a break um yeah so we started um we were all uh employees at harmonics music systems known for Guitar Hero and I'm sorry, um, Rock Band and Dance Central. Um, So we were all on the audio team uh, there as as composer sound designers at Harmonics for, um, you know, six, 10 years. I I was the last one there uh, to to leave, to split and go all in with SKU. Um, But, uh, you know, so we started, what was it, 2014, I want to say? Yeah, that's when we officially like formed the company. Um, yeah. We had been working on other projects way before that. Um, right, we we were sort of tangentially working outside of 
of uh, SKU with Dan Chrislip, um, our, our audio director uh, here at SKU. And anyway, so we were all on the same game. Uh, this this uh, it, it was unreleased, this title. It was a non-music game uh, at Harmonix, which was, which was very strange. Um, but got us into WISE, got us into sort of being a traditional audio team, like for a traditional game. And we learned a lot and we got to work really, really closely together. Um, both me and Chris Wilson were both co-composing. Uh, we were, you know, both in the, in the studio together, writing music uh, as a team. Uh, Nick and Dan were doing sound and implementation, um, the whole stack and so, you know, it was the four of us working together for about a year, maybe more. And um, that was around the time, I think Nick, you had left and Dan was thinking about leaving and Dan was like, you know what, I wanna, I wanna start a new, I wanna start a company and just do this with you guys, you know, and take it out on the road. And uh, so we formed the company and I, you know, I was still working at Harmonix, but um, working with these guys, um, we were fully remote and started working on games. Uh, almost immediately, we started getting work. Uh, once the word got out that we were kind of taking the show on the road, um, it, we got really fortunate right off the bat. So, um, you know, six years in, uh, we are all doing this kind of full time now. And um, we are, you know, branched, branched out now into TV um, and, and just, you know, uh, any sort of commercial work or uh, corporate work that's come around. But we, but like Nick, Nick was saying before, you know, we, our bread and butter is still games or interactive experiences, interactive music experiences, interactive sound installations, that kind of thing. Um, that's awesome. How many, how many do you have in the, on the team so far? Uh, so it's myself and Chris as the composers and uh, Dan Chrislip and Nick, uh, who's here um, as the sound designers. And we have a, you know, kind of rotating cast of characters that we work with as uh, contractors and interns. We we just started doing internships last year, and um, given that we're all we're remote, it's kind of. I mean, even though we're in COVID times, we've been remote. So, mm -hmm. you know, it's sort of like we can bring in whoever we want. You know, we have a, a ton of of music partners that we work with on on soundtracks and. Um, instrumentalists and voiceover actors and we're just already we're so used to this remote thing mm -hmm. uh, that being said it's really nice you know I'm in Nashville uh, Chris Wilson is in Boston Dan and Nick are on the west coast where if we ever need to be in-house with a studio which happens from time to time just even for a meeting or for a day call or something yeah we're kind of spread we're able to do that you know one of us are going to be somewhat near um, any of the like the bigger tech hubs or game hubs. That's cool. Yeah, having that flexibility of just being able to work remote and hire people, you know, because it's like everyone nowadays basically has, you know, all these tools at their fingertips at all times. So it's just a matter of just, you know, sending an email or sh shooting someone a call, say, hey, you know, can you do this? And it's really totally. just a matter of, I think time is more the enemy. You know, it's like technology has kind of allowed us all to just sort of, you know, be able to wear all these multiple hats and exactly. take care of all this stuff. So that's, that's really cool. And if there's ever instrumentalists that like we want to work with and they don't have a mic, we can be like, Hey, we're going to give you a lot of work. Like get a mic, yeah. <laughs> get, get some soundproof or sound, you know, uh, yeah, a little bit of treatment in the room and all that. Just get ready and we'll, you know, we'll work together. And, and usually that that's all they need to hear. And then they'll get, you know, we'll set them up and it'll be great. That's awesome. Uh, what types of mics do you guys prefer to work with? Uh, well, for music, 
I'm I'm using a 414 for you know my large diaphragm. I have a I just got a Coles earlier this year. Was it last year? I'm a I'm a woodwind player. Oh, nice. So um, you know my main yeah. thing is saxophone, and and I play a good amount of clarinet and flute. My wife plays flute, and uh, I have a trumpet, and I blow air through it. Um, so I use the coals on it on on the, all the horns a lot. Um, it's become my new favorite microphone. Um, but I just got a Sennheiser MK. What is it? Four twenty one? Is that what it is? Four sixteen. The shotgun. Thank you. There it is. Yeah, I just yeah. got a new, just got the shotgun finally. As I'm I'm not like sound designer by trade, but I still want to be able to record some birdsong and ambiences. So I just got myself situated with that. Um, we are we actually placed our orders for ambisonic road microphones um which ones what and was it the nt oh, the binaural NS1. Uh, no it's the, the ambisonic one it's the ambisonic one and ns1 something like that i don't know what it is anyway i am so excited to get that um yeah they're I'm, all they're I'm, all back ordered right now though yeah yeah yeah, yeah. classic yeah. covid situation yeah it's but, crazy uh, yeah, it's crazy now how how hard it is to find certain pieces of gear. I was actually looking for some XLR cables the other day, and it was just back order, back order. And I was like, I just wanted a three foot XLR cable, no big deal. And it's like, yeah. yep, yeah, everyone's upping their like video conferencing setups. Uh, you know, so the I know the the SM7Bs are like out of stock everywhere. The RE20s are like out of stock because. Everyone wants a setup like you have there with the boom arm and like, <laughs> yeah, luckily, yeah, luckily I got mine before you know yep. <laughs> everything kind of went crazy because or else yep. it would have been yeah really hard. Yep, yep. <laughs> um, I mean, it's cool. It's cool to see that people are taking that that stuff seriously. And as I say this, coming over my gaming headset and this terrible microphone, but um, uh, you know, it works. This, this, it, it works. That's all yeah. I needed to do. I'm not. I'm not making games with this uh this microphone here but for me uh to to i guess answer your microphone question um i i do a lot of location sound uh stuff for film and tv and commercials here in portland back when people could be in the same space together mm -hmm. um so i have like my whole kit like a little you know sound devices bag and everything um but my microphones are all built off of the sennheiser suites so the 416s the 80 40s 80 20s I, I don't know cardioid and the the figure eight so I, I do run an ms setup a lot of the time when i'm doing field recording mm -hmm. um i just find it more versatile i i you know as you know with ms you have like your mono source but you can also capture that as a stereo source so depending on what it is and the application of it you have that flexibility to you know get that width um or you just have the, the close-up mono signal um, we've been doing a lot of footsteps with, uh, with an MS pair, which is really interesting, um, for, for first person games and third person games. Um, they just give a different flavor to have like that stereo content, um, as you're hearing them, as your character's walking around compared to just a mono source recorded in a Foley studio or something. Mm -hmm. Um, so that's been interesting. Uh, the Senkin CO 100 K, I believe, um, the, 100 kilohertz mic um, that records like crazy high frequencies. Uh, use that a lot for for any sort of sound design or creature sounds. Um, just being able to pitch that down, you know, record it at 192 and pitch it down. You still have all that high frequency content that we can't hear, but it's hopefully there. Um, most of the time it is. Um, so you can 
yeah, pitching that down and still getting like a very, it, that's always the, the problem with pitching things down, right? Is you get, it sounds muffled. Um, and that's kind of why I talked about that pitch driver plugin where you can maintain the original signal a little bit mm-hmm. if you want. Um, so it keeps that high frequency content, doesn't sound muffled. The 100K mic usually solves that issue because that content's there. So even if you pitch down, you get like these interesting ultra high frequency stuff that gets pulled down into your 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 register, your hearing range yeah. up to 20K. Um, so you can get some really interesting things like that um, and make things sound huge that shouldn't have sounded huge. Like small little, I have like a lock here. Uh, I just have like a, this little plastic lock. I actually practice lock picking and stuff. So <laughs> I have this and unlocking this into one of those mics like gives you this giant sound um, of mechanics. Uh, it's just, it's fascinating how you, what you can do with that. Um, but, That's cool. Everyone watching this now is going to be like, hey, uh, keep him away from my lock safe. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not good. I just like doing it. I think it's fun. Uh, there's a YouTube channel I watch. It's like very ASMR, very satisfying to watch him like pick locks. You just hear, um, it's just like, this, like all these like, little clinking sounds. Just mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And he has a nice way of talking. I, I like his, his channel. It's good. <laughs> um, yeah, those are kind of my bread and butter mics that I'll, I'll go for. Um, because I, I do a lot of mostly field recording. I don't do a lot of music recording, if at all. Mm-hmm. Um, I can't remember the last time I did any music stuff um, with with an actual mic, like recording. Because um, I've done like virtual instruments and synth stuff. Um, we just we we work with um, high res games, working on some Smite content, mm-hmm. and um, some of those had some like musical elements to it, but it was all virtual instruments. Um, some of those sounds. So Steve, since you have a, I see in the back, you got a whole bunch of instruments. Is there anything that you do with some of the different instruments that you have being that you're mainly or predominantly a wind player? Do you ever try to use any of those other instruments that, uh, that maybe are more of like the secondary type instruments that you played to like get any kind of weird sounds or do you experiment with them and do any kind of crazy stuff to get some, some cool sounds out of them? I mean, yeah, yeah, def- definitely. I, 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 I'm, I guess I would consider myself a multi-instrumentalist. Like, you know, I play the, I play the saxophone and woodwinds is like professionally. Um, but I, I pick up any of these instruments. Like for, for the Sojourner soundtrack, it's mostly me playing every instrument. And then I would bring in um, professional violin player, professional cello player, um, a jazz guitarist who I just love the way he plays. So I, I want his sound on the soundtrack, you know what I mean? Um, so if there's ever like specialty players or, or personalities that I, that I want to add to like the palette, that's um, generally how I approach music production. But yeah, like the sound designer in me, definitely. I mean, that's like part of the joy of bringing a new um, character or sound to a game or to a, or to a show is just like doing that experimentation. Um, a lot of the, one of the main reasons I wanted to you know, to set myself up with a shotgun microphone or field recorder is to be able to go out and record stuff that I could potentially use for musical purposes. You know, um, the the lock example, Nick, is a great example of like, how can I turn some of those clinkety clankety things into like a, a what sounds like, um, I don't know, a cyberpunk kind of, you know, metallic kind of synthetic stuff, thing. Yeah. You know, um, and, uh, you know, I like doing a lot of field recording for um, 
uh, bird sound, bird bird song, and and just nature ambience as well. So, you know, uh, I'm looking, I'm definitely looking forward to that part of it. But we've been doing this like that. The spirit of that has been ongoing since we started. Um, Chris Wilson, the other composer, it, like made a point to build instruments for a game um, from scratch, and then. You know, so now he has these like incredible, like what is it? Um, a bowed guitar, a bowed acoustic guitar that he made, um, a contrabass banjo uh, that he built from like a banister and a yeah, it's like it? a it's a stair banister. Like handrail is the neck, and it's a giant like kick drum really yeah. down at the bottom, and wow. it's it's like looks like an upright bass almost, but like a huge banjo upright bass. Yeah. Uh, when, when he brought that in, I was like, that's mine. Yeah. <laughs> I want to play that. Yeah. The contra so he, banjo. Contra bass <laughs> banjo. So Chris Wilson, like when we get a new project, he really likes to like immerse himself into the story and the world of the game or movie or film or whatever we're working on. And with that, he takes, he, he thinks about, cause he's a musician. He thinks about what type of music would this world, these people, um, what have you, the inhabitants, what, what would they perform? What would their music sound like? Is it more primitive? Is it kind of, I mean, cyberpunk seems to be the, the buzzword now. Is it more that kind of like <laughs> hybrid, like synthy tech stuff? Um, and he builds instruments like to, to fill this gap. Um, he's built like that giant contrabass banjo. Um, he built a crazy Cora, I think using, oh, right. using a lot of like, I think it was like fishing, wire like nylon fish fish <laughs> fishing line is like the strings of it um that thing i i guess is a bear to to tune <laughs> it's it's pretty ridiculous uh, we can also we can get you some photos of them too so you kind of yeah. know what we're talking about yeah that'd be um, cool to see yeah so i mean it looks like a cora if you're familiar with what that kind of looks like and then what mm -hmm. else was there oh there's like the grit the gorilla phone yeah a gorilla phone i think i think um it was just like, almost like a water phone type of sound to it, hydrophone or water phone, yeah. He also made like a, a wooden thing that we called a Paducah phone. <laughs> I don't, I think we ever used it for much because it only made, ended up making up one sound. But I just like in general, that like methodology of like creating something from nothing in order to influence the, your sonic space, you know, like mm -hmm. totally giving the, the like, narrative conceit of, of whatever project we're working on just a little bit more personality and, and uniqueness it's and it just inspires us too you know yeah yeah because it's a fun it's a fun thing to not only just compose something but when you're you know because it's all we're all creatives you know it's all yeah. about creating something whether it's like a piece of music or a sculpture art you know it's like it's the same thing especially if it's for the purpose of creating music then it's like it's even cooler because it's like you know one great way to sort of have a unique sound and especially totally. per project and makes other projects want to reach out to you. Cause it's like, you know, we're going to get something that's completely unique and, you know, or kind of really makes the, the sounds of the game kind of its own. So that's really cool. Yeah. yeah that's what we strive to do. And Steve nailed it with signs of the sojourner too. That soundtrack is so interesting and unique. And I don't even know what genre you would classify it in. Cause it's like, all of them uh, but, uh yeah congrats yeah trying to come up with sounds for you know a, what a wide array of cultures um within one you know kind of creative idea is was a was a really fun challenge you know 
Well, I really appreciate you guys' time. It's been great to hear the insight into how you guys started the company and you know a little bit of insight into your process. So I really appreciate that. Um, is there any any place where people can find you guys or if they want to reach out and contact you or anything like that? You can find us at skewsound.com. Uh, we're at skewsound on Twitter and um, you know, and all the other social media places. That's awesome. Well, yeah, thank you so much. And uh, I appreciate your time. And yeah, talk to you guys cool. later. Thank you, Craig. Take care. Thanks, Craig. Take it easy. Thank you.